Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new and exciting episode of Career Focus, part of Influential Future. I'm your host, Alexander Marinov, and today I have a special guest, my, my good friend, uh, Venceslav Marinov. He's a senior software engineer. And today I'm going to uh, speak with him about his career journey, education, and what made him become a software engineer. Hello, Venceslav. Hi, Alex. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you for taking the time, and obviously, sure. thank you, thank you very much for sharing your expertise and knowledge with us today. Of course. So let's dive in. So, can you give us a brief introduction? So my name is uh, Venceslav. Um, I'm a tech lead slash team lead uh, currently at SMP Global. I have more than eleven years um, in the field of. Uh, with, with Java programming. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much it about myself. So can you tell us more about how how um, you got involved in um, computer sciences and software engineering? Was there a particular piece that you decided to do as part of your education? Because obviously when you're in high school, most people don't know what they actually want to do. And did you find this journey easy for you or more difficult? Did you already have an idea that you want to be a programmer? before that so i always was uh being fa fascinating with the technologies and more specifically with the computers so for me picking up software engineering as a field was very naturally and very easy um so yeah it was very easy i was always wanted to learn more about the computers and uh, the software and obviously, once you finished high school, you started you started your uh, education. Did you go immediately into computer sciences? So yeah, I I graduated with bachelor degree uh, in software engineering in, <laughs> from Sofia University, and yeah, I just right away after high school I started studying there. Excellent. And did you find it easy after university to find to find a new role? Or did you find it challenging? How, how did you find the journey? So actually, I started working long before I finished my uh, education in the university. Um, initially, I was looking for a job primarily. Uh, of course, initially, it was not that easy. So uh, because my lack of degree and experience, so I was uh, looking for a job primarily via friends who can recommend me to the company. But once I graduated from university, I already had a degree and I already had experience. So finding a new job was very easy. So what what programming languages did you start learning? Uh, did you start immediately in the main ones like Java, PHP, or did you, yeah. did you decide? So in the university, uh, we started initially with C++, mm -hmm. uh, only the first semester. And after that, we started to uh, learn Java. Mm -hmm. And I fell in love with the Java. And so, yeah, since then, like I was, uh, I've been using only Java. Um, that's great. And obviously now things have been moving over the last 10, 10, 15 years, quite a lot in the space of um, programming. Are you seeing, obviously right now we have newer and more um, challenging programming languages come in. Obviously everybody knows about Python because it's predominantly used for machine learning. You also have Scala, Julia, 
all kinds of other languages. Where do you see those fitting in in this whole environment? Because obviously Java currently is the primary programming language for a lot of applications. But do you think that's shifting a little bit with all these new, new, new things coming in? So yeah, I think that there are different areas in which Java has a lot of advantages, and in some areas which is not good uh, to be used. An example, as you mentioned, in the AI and the machine machine learning, uh, the Java is too heavy, and you you don't get any benefit of using it in that field. Mm -hmm. So Python is a scripting language, so it's fitting very good there. So in this area, yes, like uh, I would use an example, if I was working in the a with AI or uh, machine learning, I would definitely go for Python. But in terms of cloud applications and specifically cloud and distributed application, Java is the best. Like it doesn't have... Uh, like even competition there, like for distributed uh, applications, for cloud application, everybody right now is using Java. Um, also all the, the cloud providers like uh, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, uh, even they provide their own version of Java, which they run on, on their cloud. So it's like, it, it, it's very strongly developed by uh, all the big players on the, mm -hmm. on the um in in the software industry so yeah i i believe yeah java specifically for cloud or distributed system like is the best and uh for let's say if you go for some kind of devices like let's say for mobile phones or uh some other let's say cars or any kind of electronics their C, the C language is the best, or C++. So, yeah. No, no, I that's like mm -hmm. you should you should check what what is the uh, kind of software you want to develop, and then you choose the language based on you know like on the mm -hmm. purpose. Like there is no one language which is best for everything. Like it's more like it's good for some in some fields. Now that's very interesting. Obviously, you have a lot of experience because you've worked in a number of different organizations over the years. What did you find the most challenging part when you're changing companies? Is it getting used to how people work together or how they um, tackle changing project? Or is it more about getting the know-how, how technology within companies utilized? Because it might be, like you said, Java, but it will be different versions of Java and also different ways how people manage projects because Obviously, right now, the main popular tool for managing projects is obviously Agile. But before that, you obviously had Waterfall and other project management tools. So how how, how did you manage that? So from my experience, um, the most challenging changing a project or changing a job, it's always like how the project itself is set up. So. Mm -hmm. From like in the software engineering, we we have uh, something called called SDLC. So this defines the whole um, uh, life cycle of uh, the project, right? So let's say once you have a new feature, how you develop it, where you store the changes, how you deploy the changes, uh, of uh, all of the setups in order to set up your project, let's say to run some automation, to um, 
like the whole setup, right? It's everywhere is different. Like there is no a standard about mm-hmm. the the whole SDLC process. So yeah, I think it's getting used to the just to the SDLC process and uh, the architecture of the project, the technologies, because every pro- every project con- contains different technologies. Um, so the basic might be Java, but like there are a lot of frameworks which are based on Java. And so like even for just accessing database, right? So you might, there are many frameworks which you can be used or even maybe there in might be in-house framework which the company developed just because they, they had some particular need. So getting familiar with the frameworks which are used with the architecture, uh, with the SDOC process. So yeah, that's that's the main challenge. And yeah, I think that usually it takes about six months to get really up to speed with the whole process and everything. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's I think that's the main challenge. No, no, it's, it's very true when you're changing companies, etc. It's very challenging. It takes you, you correctly pointed out, industry averages around six months to get used to the new company, the new processes. That's That's quite normal. Um, obviously, you've worked on a number of changing projects. What do you think is the most important thing to tackle changing projects? Is it defining the scope of the project or managing expectations for the key stakeholders? What do you think is the key key, key point when you have changing projects on your hands? Yeah, so I think the key thing is to have the deep knowledge of how, uh, if, if the, the, the project is existing, right? So you need to get very deep into how everything works. So once you have uh, this is the, the main thing. If the, the project is brand new, then you need to get very deep into what it, like what is needed for this project, like to, to understand all the needs of the project. So then you you pick the technology, you pick um, you pick the architecture and everything. So for me, it's like just communicating um, what are the needs. And yeah, that's the main thing. So how, how do you manage, let's say, difficult managers in your experience or let's say diffi- difficult um, projects in that sense? Like, for example, you're in a project, it's being delayed, there's constant issues. How, 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 how have you tackled those challenges in your professional work life? Um, I think that if the project is delayed, the best approach is just to cut the scope. Um, mm-hmm. So uh try just to go with the bare minimum of the functionality which is needed and just try to make sure that this uh limited scope it working like at the best right so mm-hmm. you can deliver something which is working even though it's limited so i always suggest like whenever um like something is getting delayed just try to find what we can uh, remove from the scope of the project and just deliver what we are absolutely sure that is going to be working and it's going to be performing good. The functionality will not have bugs and that everybody is going to be happy. No, no, that's very true, especially if something is completely delayed and there's no chance of pushing through and making sure everything is going to be fine. The right approach is to basically put something in place that's actually going to be working. And then continually after that, you can actually scale it up uh, with new versions potentially. Um, yeah, exactly. So uh, right now, everybody's obsessed with data. As you know, everybody's talking about 
data science, machine learning, AI, data um, lakes. Data lakes. So, how do you navigate this environment in your uh, area of expertise? Because everybody's talking about this AI is going to fix everything with data. But from my experience, when people talk talk about AI machine learning, they don't realize that you need, first of all, a lot of data. Secondly, you need a lot of clean data for it to make to make it work because you can't have machine learning or AI without uh, having robust data. So how do you how do you see that evolving or changing from, from your experience? Yeah, from my experience, so at least from the last maybe seven or eight years, um, uh, and prior to that, like, uh, but specifically uh, my seven to eight years uh, experience, my, my last seven or eight years, I've been involved in financial services, uh, project related to financial services, and there uh, the transaction of the data is extremely important. So you need to have audits. So any change is audited, right? So, um, and this is related to regulators who can come up anytime and want, let's say, uh, all the changes on, on the data for the last, let's say, seven or 10 years, right? So uh, in order to keep uh, this data, like you need to rely heavily on transactions. So it's uh, that kind of data is called transactional data. So for such kind of data, we cannot um, allow our, ourselves to use anything but a relational databases where you have, uh, it's very easy to extract of the audits and uh, all the audits of the data. And we, we cannot use something, let's say no SQL database or uh, like uh, something maybe like uh, documented, like document-based uh, data or a st structure or something like that. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't have that much experience into the data lakes and um, something similar because primarily like 99% of my time I've been using uh, relational databases with audits and mm -hmm. such kind of uh, requirements. So yeah, I, I, I'm not that experienced in that field. So yeah, I don't have a particular opinion. Yeah, I mean, everybody's saying that everybody's gonna start using NoSQL, but I my view is that it has a time and place for it. And obviously SQL as a standard, it's still there, still. No, I think, I don't think that like mm -hmm. specifically in the any financial system, you can use NoSQL uh, mm -hmm. for specifically for the client's data, right? For any kind of sensitive data, it's impossible to use something else because yes, exactly. transaction. Like this is transactional data, this is sensitive data. Like there needs to be audits uh, with uh, there needs to be uh, you need to keep the, all the history of the changes. Control and control basically framework who's done what. Basically, that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, you, every change, let's say you change the username, name, this needs to be uh, documented. Mm -hmm. This needs to be audited, like, so yeah. uh, every single change, right? You change some setting in the system, you added something, like everything, any change, it's audited and um, you need to keep the history of changes for most regulator, they want it up to 10 years. So mm -hmm. you cannot achieve that by any kind of, no SQL database. So yeah, yeah, it's just like a requirement, right? So uh, the 
много uh, SQL uh, databases, they, they have uh, advantages, but when we don't speak about transactional data, it's more like for saving images, for social networks, an example where it's not that crucial, let's say, if, uh, you know, like you miss some of the mm-hmm. uh, audits, like of the, the there is no auditing, right? So, uh, so yeah, I think that it's it has uh, a lot of benefits, but not for transactional data. No, thank you. That's very interesting. And obviously you mentioned that you have participated in a lot of interviews, you're currently a tech lead. So because you, because of that, you have a unique experience in interviews. So because of how do you approach interviews and how do you interview people? What are you, what are the key skills you're looking at? For example, for somebody to join your organization or team, is there a particular skill set you're looking for? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in, gen- yeah, in general. I- I've been conducting a lot of uh, interviews uh, myself. And the key thing which I'm looking is, first of all, basic knowledge, right? So uh, I'm not looking for a very deep knowledge in a particular framework or technology, because I know that uh, if that technology is needed, you can, uh, if you have the basics, you're going to be very easy to get up to speed with any technology or framework. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for a basic knowledge of the basics. And the second thing is I'm looking for, uh, I want to see in the candidate that he's uh, a team player. He likes to work in a team. He can think like about, the, uh, I like on the interview to give a problem mm-hmm. um, and to see how the candidate is thinking, how he's handling the problem. And um, yeah, I, and I, I want to see that he's motivated. Um, Sometimes, let's say you ask someone, uh, some candidate about a question and he answer, oh, but I don't know this because I can check in Google, right? So, um, or I can check in Stack Overflow. So you should never say such kind of thing uh, on the interview. You should always like, even if you don't know something, a question, you should try to, to think about it. You need to show that you uh, you, you can think and, and how uh, do you approach it? You, you can analyze. Yeah, you need to show your approach. You uh, On the interviews, you don't need to know everything, right? Because the, uh, they can ask you everything on the interviews. Like they might ask you a lot of stuff which you don't know. And the and also for me, it's not a good answer. I don't know this uh, next question, right? So you should show at least motivation that you're thinking you should show your uh, uh, what kind of analysis you're making on the question. And once you do, you, you try to think about it, uh, you, you analyze the, the question. And just then you can say, sorry, you know, I, I have limited experience. So this is, I can come up with, but I'm not 100% sure. So this question, this answer is perfect, right? So even if you are not sure about something. No, that makes uh, perfect sense. And Obviously, the tech industry in general, as you know, there, there's this uh, preconception that people should be ready to do days on end coding challenges. Like they should be able to dedicate a week at least to do, let's say, uh, a project for free. Do you have an opinion on this? Do you think it's right? Or uh, I mean, I don't do it. Um, I I don't see uh, like if it's a... Uh, if it's an interesting small project, mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I think that it's it's just for learning purposes, right? The company is not trying to just to use uh, free labor mm-hmm. <laughs> to solve uh, their issue because I've heard such kind of practices. Let's say some people say, if you don't know how to do it, something, give it to uh, like an interview question. <laughs> so <laughs> like I, such kind of practice, I don't agree with. Like if the project is small and interesting, it's just for learning purposes. Like, and just really to see how the person, the, the particular individual is thinking, then yes, but otherwise, no. Mm, yeah. And I think that on the interview, like you for one hour or two hours, right? So uh, you have enough time to understand the person. So you don't need uh, to waste his time for one week to do a project. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't see harm in it. Like uh, uh, myself, I've done such kind of uh, projects for interviews. And my experience is that they're very nice and they're really interesting. And really, even myself, I have challenged myself to think and to even to learn new things. So making this project. So um, yeah, I, I don't have anything against it. Unless it's, you know, like just that you're trying to to get something from someone just to for free, right? Yeah, exactly. A solution uh, for free. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> so as you as we mentioned, technology is moving very fast. What 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 do you, what where do you think technology is moving and what excites you about it or what scares you where technology is moving these days? I think that these days uh the AI is getting more advanced. Um so I think that yeah the 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 AI it's uh, um, it's gonna be more and more advanced in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gonna be more involved in our daily routines. Um, I think specifically an example the autonomous driving. This is something where it's gonna like a, a lot of companies are investing right now um, a lot of resources. Also, I see. I think that in the future, like also, uh, there are gonna be maybe our robots who are gonna be helping elderly people. Um, also, I think that the social media will be replaced by metaverse. Um, okay. So I see. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, um, in, in general, everything is moving to more uh, de- decentralized systems. Um, so, so yeah, I think in like it's moving in a lot of this decentralization in general. Mm. So, do you think that the metaverse in general is a concept is viable, or do you think it's a um, totally to see what where it's gonna go? No, I think it's it, it's pretty viable. I think it's the user experience is more exciting mm-hmm. uh, than uh, the the like the, the standard social media. So I, the currently, I think that the access to the metaverse is not that easy um, and it's more difficult, you know, like maybe you need a special devices to get full experience and uh, it's just more complicated. I think with the time is going to get the access to the metaverse is going to get easier. The experiences uh, are going to get richer and richer and um, there is going to be uh, a change. Let's say instead of going going to social media, you directly go, gonna go to metaverse. In, very interesting. So do you think that there's gonna be, obviously everybody's talking about virtual reality, augmented reality. Me personally, I've seen more applications for augmented reality, 
where basically you interact more, let's say with your phone, you can see more things uh, digitally, like augmented reality, like for example, you can see directions easily, easily, or obviously there are certain games that became quite popular. One of them is obviously- Yeah, I think that um, the people will start to play games in metaverse, they're gonna start to communicate, share stuff in metaverse. Mm -hmm. An example, they're gonna be chat rooms or such kind of uh, events in the metaverse. So yeah, the people will start to use it more and more for social activities than just sharing a, a post or sharing a thought, let's say currently on Twitter mm -hmm. or Facebook. No, that's very interesting. Thank, thank you for uh, sharing your views on, on this topic. It's quite, quite interesting where things are going. Obviously certain companies are more heavily invested than others, uh, but we'll see how this technology is gonna evolve over time. So now let's go to the, uh, some people say the uh, more in-depth view about you and what you actually do in your spare time. So do you have any hobbies that you like to do currently? Yeah, currently I, I like to work out. Uh, my hobbies are uh, always have been related to sports. So I like to work out in the gym. I, I do it maybe five times a week. In the winter, I like to do skiing. That, that's pretty much it. It's uh, related to sports. Excellent. And are you excited about the World Cup happening in uh, Christmas, just before Christmas time? Um, yeah. So actually, I lost my passion for football that much. So I, I don't follow it uh, ah. that often. Uh, of course, I would be interested to see some of the games. But yeah, uh, I'm not that excited anymore about uh, like football or um such kind of sport yeah me, me too i usually only follow the big big competitions i don't follow for example premier cup or the other events unless it's something a very big game uh, so i can relate to, to that as well um do you have a favorite book or certain favorite books you've read over the years that had a big influence on you yeah so i think that the the like one book which made me particular, um, like which really influenced me was, um, is called How to Make Friends and Influence People. Uh, I really like it as it describes the basic people psychology via interesting stories. So it's not just some theory or something like that. It's, they describe uh, a stories and they try to explain um, how the people think uh, e via interesting uh, real life stories, right? So I really think, I, I really like it. I read it a couple of times and I would recommend everybody read it. No, that's fascinating. So for our listeners, this is a book by uh, Dale Carnegie and it's a very interesting book how to approach different situations and people and how to uh, get an instant connection. At least that's what the book says. Um, and it's a very interesting psychological uh, framework if if you like to practice it as well. <clears throat> so um, can you tell me about three applications that you like to use in your spare time outside of work? What, 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 what would those be? Like, I like to use social media. Um, so all, all, all the applications which I use are... Um, 
related to social media, Snapchat or news. Facebook or yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, like yeah. So that that's pretty much it. So I think Twitter is a very good way to uh, to get the latest news. So this is the source of like you get the news even before the newspapers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Facebook and Instagram is great. They're great social medias for connected with friends. And so, yeah, these are pretty much the applications which I use. Excellent. So uh, where do you see yourself in um, 10 years time? In 10 years, I see myself with more knowledge and more experience and able to handle more responsibilities and potentially able to manage bigger teams. Good to hear. And my final question for you is if you could go back in time and you could get advice to your younger self, like 18 years old, what would that be? Um, I would tell to my younger myself to be not worried and to take more risks. Yeah, I think this is the advice I would tell, give to myself. Perfect. And uh, on this note, I would like to uh, thank Venceslav for taking the time. I, I found our discussion very interesting and inspiring, and I hope all our listeners find it so as well. And thank you, thank you again for taking the time to participate sure. in the thank podcast. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Thank you very much, and I hope to see you listeners on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you, bye. Bye.